we talk a lot about communication at Mighty Parenting. Our experts, myself, the communications, email series that we share with you. And one of the keys to communicating well with our teens is to not be stressed. Because when we're stressed, we knee jerk, we jump in, we say things that we don't mean to say. And as I'm talking to parents, you guys are telling me that you don't have time for stress relief. So I've created a complimentary lesson for you that requires no time. Yes, you will have to listen to the audio, so it's going to take you a few minutes to do that. But the strategies I share with you don't require you to spend any more time on them. So pop over to sandyfowler.com forward slash no time and learn how you can start relieving your stress and feeling better today. Welcome to Mighty Parenting, the podcast with real, raw, and relevant talk about raising teens and parenting young adults. Welcome to Mighty Parenting, a community where we help you raise teens and parent 20-somethings so they can become happy, successful, and emotionally healthy adults. I'm Sandy Fowler, a stress relief coach, emotional wellness speaker, and host of the Mighty Parenting Podcast, with a quick reminder to pop over to MightyParenting.com and grab the free email series there on how to talk to your teen. It gives you an idea of communication strategies that work well, and then you'll have a better idea of what we're talking about when we say communication on Mighty Parenting, because it's not talking at your child. We have heard time and time again that we can't make our kids do anything. We talk about that on the show. I say it to remind myself and to remind you guys that they're human beings and we just cannot make them do what we think they should be doing. Basically, what we need to do is we need to lead by example. So if we need to be leaders in our own homes, what does that look like? And how can we be more effective at inspiring our teens to follow us? Well, helping us with that today is John J. Murphy. John is the author of 20 books with another in the works. He is a speaker, a business consultant, and a life coach. And today he's sharing his most important lessons with us so we can lead our own children. John, welcome to Mighty Parenting. Thanks, Sandy. Great being here. John, you are a business coach. And that is the, those are the topics of your books. And yet, it seems that most of your business books have us really turning inward and looking at ourselves. Why is that? Well, there are a lot of parallels. And, and I've learned this uh, through the last 33 years of business practice. I started in my company in 1988. Uh, my second child of four was just born. So this was a <laughs> challenging time in life. Uh, but as I worked with companies around the world, Uh, with rational problem-solving models, with leadership development, and the very characteristics that help leaders run businesses with great influence rather than authority. There's a big difference, as you know. Uh, These same competencies applied to parents. So I I use them myself. And uh, I have four great kids all through college now and out working. And uh, so I'd like to share those. I've got eight different competencies I've written down here to share with your audience, and I'll comment a little bit on each of them. But these are things that I have learned are critical to influencing anyone, whether it's in business or in the family, uh, f- friends, anyone. They're, they're, they're key influential skills. 
I would love for you to share those with us because it is not common in our culture to think of parenting as being leadership. And many of us haven't had any coaching or education in how to lead. And I love the way that you said, you know, we want to influence our kids. We want to lead through influence rather than authority. So please, John, share your competencies with us. Yeah, well, it's a, it's a great point because we go to school growing up and we learn math and we learn, you know, English and science, but we really don't learn leadership and team building and some of these, these human skills, if you will, personality profiles and just how people are alike and how people are different. So yeah, I'd love to cover these. Uh, the very first one I wrote down is credibility. You know, when you're trying to influence someone, a question they're often asking, at least uh, quietly, they may not say it, but who are you? And what have you done? And do you walk the talk? All right, are you, uh, are you the real deal? I know I always ask that question when I go and hear someone speak or I'm reading an article or a book is, is who is this person and what have they done? Do they really walk the talk or do they just talk the talk, so to speak? So credibility and the other competencies I'm gonna talk about here all help fuel credibility. But at the end of the day, you gotta be believable. You gotta be trusted by your child. They, they believe you know what you're talking about and that you have, clear evidence that what you're talking about or what you're suggesting works and it's in their best interest. The second one I've got listed here, Sandy, is optimism. We are so often surrounded by negativity. It's all over the television. It's all over the news. Oh my gosh, you know, all, all these problems in the world. But great leaders are solution focused, not problem focused. They're two sides to the same coin. So while everybody's got problems and your children have problems, recognize that there's no problem without a solution. In fact, every problem has multiple solutions. So the creative problem solver realizes that it isn't just option A to solve this problem. It might be option C, D, or E. Let's, let's be creative and explore the different options we have. And let's do it with optimism and, and positivity. You know, that expectation that we got this, it's, it's all gonna work out. So that's, that's absolutely key. And that's also key to building credibility. The next one, and it goes along with, uh, with optimism is confidence, a sense of poise. So no matter how challenging the situation is, mom and dad have a, a, a grace to them. They have confidence, poise. They, they're, they're like a, a gifted athlete, you know? Yeah, the, the game is intense. Maybe it's a last second, you know, key moment. But that athlete takes a deep breath and handles it with confidence. That's a huge component, again, to building credibility. If you approach the child or the situation with fear and doubt and anxiety, your credibility is going to tank. And, and, and the kid's going to read that just like a, a, a dog reads fear. <laughs> you know. Uh, the next one I've got here, Sandy, is knowledge, meaning lifelong learning. You know, The parent doesn't know everything. None of us know everything. So the gifted leader is always searching for something new to learn. What, what, could, what, what, what can I learn that's new today? What can I read? What can I listen to? A podcast? Uh, what, what can I watch? A YouTube video? Surrounding oneself with the most gifted minds on the planet. It's easy to do these days because it's right at your fingertips. You know, you don't have to know these people 
but you can tap into tremendous resources on the on any subject if you simply will to and you and you open your mind and you learn and when your children see that that you're a, a student of life uh, it, it opens their mind you know mom and dad know they know don't know everything so they're always learning again you're walking the talk you're setting an example that life is about learning and, and giving back uh, the fifth one I have here is called a rational problem-solving model. You know, a lot of us never get trained in solving problems rationally. We just jump to solutions, and then we start arguing over solutions without, without the facts, without the data, without careful analysis. So I teach a model called DMAIC, D-M-A-I-C, and the D stands for define. Start by defining the problem. I'd often say to my kids, if they, if they have a problem, prove it. Prove you have a problem. Show me the data, show me the facts. What makes you think you have a problem? I do that in business because a lot of times we're chasing ghosts. But once we have the facts and the facts point out that, yeah, this is undesirable. This is, this is not good, this is a problem. All right, the next step is let's, uh, let's find out why, it's, uh, why we have these problems. So define and measure, get the data and analyze why we have these problems. So just root cause analysis. And there's different ways to do that. Again, can learn this easily uh, just by searching for it, different analysis tools. So uh, for example, when my oldest daughter was trying to decide on a college, uh, we used what's called a, a, a weighted matrix. Uh, it's, it's, imagine a matrix and across the top, we listed the different uh, specifications she wanted, all the different things she was looking for in a college. And then down the the left, uh, the left column, we listed the different universities she was looking at. So which universities met the different expectations? It just looks like a big grid, but it is a simple analysis tool to help make wise choices. So with DMAIC, we define the problem, we measure it and populate it with data. We analyze the data to figure out what the real root causes are, and then we make improvements. That's the I in DMAIC. And after we've made the improvements, we hold the hold the gain, so to speak, with control mechanisms. How are we gonna make sure this new habit or this new solution sticks? It doesn't go back to the old way. So just having a basic rational problem-solving model with your children guides them through the process intelligently. Again, that builds credibility and it helps them find better solutions to whatever challenges they face. Six is the yeah buts. You're always going to get met with some form of resistance when you're trying to lead change. Yeah, but this isn't a good time. Yeah, but I don't think I'm ready for that. Yeah, but I don't want to do that. Yeah, but what? <laughs> Lots of yeah buts in life. So we have to be ready for that. And we have to have countermeasures. We call them countermeasures in business. So what, what are we going to do when we, we get met with this yeah but? It's a risk analysis. So uh, what's the risk of making the change and what are we going to do to make sure we don't, you know, hurt ourselves or fall on our face? Uh, seven is flexibility. We've got to be willing to adapt and pivot, especially in times of uncertainty. We might have a plan and discover that that plan's just not working. So what's enough? What's, what, what can we do? How can we pivot and be flexible? Being rigid, it's, it's like a tree branch. If it's rigid, it's going to crack and break. If it's flexible, it's going to survive the hurricane, so to speak. And finally is perseverance, just never giving up, sticking with that child, loving them unconditionally, and, uh, and, and building influence with that, just that, that incredible 
life energy we call love. I, well, John, when we met and we were discussing these competencies in a business light, I didn't really have the time to think it through in detail to just how much they apply to parenting. I had that, that quick flash of it. And that's why we decided to have this conversation, but it's really interesting to me to, to take these business principles and really bring them into our personal life. And I have, I have a few things that I want to go back and and dig into a little bit more. And I'm sure you have some things you want to dig into, but I also just want to say how much I appreciate all the conversation you had around these fit so well with the conversations we have at Mighty Parenting, the things that we are talking about doing. So let's go back to this idea of um, in optimism, you talked about coming up with different options and to have optimism in doing that. So when we are um, working with our kids, and we're being solution focused. Can you share a little bit with us about what that might look like in a conversation or in action we have with our teen or 20 something? Sure. Well, I teach with a Socratic approach, you know, the, the great uh, teacher Socrates. I used to say, uh, you have two ears and one mouth, use them proportionately. In other words, listen twice as much as you speak. And he taught with a very pulling style. So he'd often respond to a question with a question. And I had a boss like this uh, 35 years ago. And I, 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 in fact, I dedicated one of my books to him because he was so influential with me. And one of the things he used to say to me is, uh, John, don't come to me with a problem. And you probably heard the rest of this sentence uh, that most people have heard, which is don't come to me with a problem without a solution. But that's not what he said. He said, John, don't come to me with a problem without three solutions. And it used to frustrate me, Sandy, because I was like, well, I got this great idea about what we should do. But by challenging me to look for additional alternatives, we almost never went with the original idea. It was always some deeper hybrid type solution something more creative. So a parent could say, a child comes, you know, with with a problem. Question number one might be, well, what do you think you should do about this? So that you're not creating something called dependency syndrome, where they come to you expecting you to solve the problem for them every time, creating that dependency. In business, we call that a dependency syndrome, where employees are learning to delegate their problems up to the management who is overwhelmed and doesn't <laughs> doesn't necessarily know the best solution because they're not right you know boots on the ground so getting the child to think for themselves about a solution and then not just one in other words ask them now what what other alternatives do you think there there are so you're teaching the child to think creatively and to take responsibility for whatever problems they face. You're not just, here's what you should do. You know, here's the answer. You're helping them find answers. You're pulling rather than pushing. And you're listening more than you're speaking. And it's a very powerful leadership technique. 
It is. And it is, again, that teaching. It reminds me of when our kids are very little and they want to pour the gallon of milk. And you're, you're watching this and at some point you have to say, okay, yes, you can pour the gallon of milk. You may initially, I know I bought a little, a little pitcher and I would put a little pitcher of milk in the fridge so they could start pouring that and learn their way through it. But eventually you have to hand over that gallon, even if they're going to spill it. That's just part of the learning process. And then you have, and then you know, you have them help you clean it up or you help them clean it up, which is a little bit of what I'm seeing here is you're going to go, okay, they have the problem and what are they going to do about it? And you're just coaching them through and kind of helping them clean it up is going, okay, what can you do? What else can you do? What other alternatives are there? And it's also encouraging that creativity and encouraging the idea of, well, it's, it's encouraging resilience too in that we're showing them that you have choices. You do have options. You're not stuck. That's a really difficult concept for a lot of people. It's one of the things I teach in my coaching as I just tell people, I'm like, you always have a choice and people don't like to hear that. And this helps our kids start seeing how they have choices in the way they manage things and deal with things. Yeah, that's exactly right. We, we always have choices in how we respond. And that's another, another key uh, competency, if you will, that goes with perseverance is patience. We have to be patient, patient with our children, patient with our employees, patient with people. Uh, they're, they're going to make mistakes. The thing is, is if they spill the milk, rather than jump, you know, jump in to save the day and get, you know, move over, I'll clean this up. And, and, and now you're cleaning up someone else's mess. You know, let them spill the milk and then let teach them how to clean it up. And that takes patience. You know, it takes a, a level of, of maturity. So yeah, mm -hmm. I think it's real important is, is to allow mistakes to be made. And this is critical in business because it's where all, all great innovations come from. They, they typically come from something that didn't work the first time, you know, <laughs> like Thomas Edison, after 9,000 attempts with the light bulb, you know, a reporter asked him, you know, how can you continue after 9,000 mistakes? He says, I haven't failed yet. I've learned 9,000 ways that don't work. Yeah. Well, you mentioned that, you know, we need to be patient, but this conversation also leads to the other reason that we tend to jump in as parents. One is we're impatient. The other is fear, which you talked about. And fear is a huge roadblock to really good parenting and a strong relationship with our teen. And I'm curious what, what advice you have for us on moving past the fear and not letting the fear rule us. You, you talked about it under confidence. You said, you know, we need to have um, a sense of poise, no matter how difficult the situation, because if we approach it with fear, this isn't going to work. Yeah, it also goes hand in hand with optimism because fear is negative. And fear is an illusion. A lot of people don't even realize that. Fear isn't real. It's an illusion of the mind. It's a projection of the mind that something's going to go wrong. And it's based on assumption because we don't know what's going to happen in the future. So if we project something wrong, you know, I'm going to fail the test. I'm going to, uh, I'm not going to get the job or I'm going to lose my job or my kid's going to hurt themselves you know, or not get into college, the right college, 
all of these projections, these, these fear-based, it's ego. The ego is a fear-based dualistic thought system. It's not who we really are, but it's the thought system we grow up with, right, wrong, good, bad, us, them. It's all divisive and dualistic, and it's all fear-based. The ego is never satisfied. No matter how successful you are, the ego is always saying you need more, 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 more. And so we, we, we grow up, we learn that thought system, and then we start doubting one another. We start seeing everything as separate rather than connected. And we, we're surrounded by negativity. It's everywhere. So it's very rare to find an enlightened leader who sees the, the, opt, the optimistic side of everything, the positive. What can we learn from the COVID-19 pandemic? There's all kinds of positive things we can take away from this and, and improve as a as a, a human culture, you know, so many positive things we can do. But of course, you're not going to hear that much because people feed on drama and, and the ego feeds on drama and negativity. So uh, number one, recognize fear is self-created. Okay, what scares you doesn't scare me or vice versa. It's a projection of the mind. It's an illusion. It's, it's uh it's, it's based on the, the idea that something's going to go wrong and that scares us. You know, what if I get sick? What, you know, what if my uh, child gets sick? You know, all of those projections create a, a, a fear vibration in our, in our bodies. In fact, fear feeds illness. And then if we discover we're ill and, get, and are afraid of the illness, we get more ill. <laughs> you have to see past the fear to something positive, something that's going to uh, attract you in a, a better direction. So I think it's critical that parents realize that fear is something that they create. It's not something that happens to you. It, it comes from you. And this is why it's, it's so important to be mindful of your thoughts. I mean, mindfulness is becoming a huge component now in the leadership development world. And it's, it's the subject matter of my last couple of books is mindful leadership. How do we be more mindful about what we think? Because what we think affects how we feel. If you're thinking negative thoughts, it's going to increase your heart rate. It's going to boost your uh, cortisol and your adrenaline and your stress hormones. And all of a sudden, your body is going to think that fear is real because the body's reacting to a thought. A lot of people don't realize they have control over their feelings. Well, I just feel this way. I have no control over it. And the answer is, yes, you do. You have control over it by what you think. Because what you think affects how you feel. How you feel affects everything. <laughs> so if you're going to truly walk the talk and be positive and optimistic and poised and credible, then you have to think that way. You have to let go of that dualistic, ego-based, fear-based, Thoughts, thought process. That's that's what a lot of uh, great spiritual teachers call tra uh, transcendence. It's transformational. You you've, you're not solving problems inside a box, inside a thought system or a paradigm. You're going outside of that box because it's the box that's the problem. It doesn't help to solve problems inside a box when it's the box that's the actual problem. <laughs> you're just you're just moving chairs around on the Titanic. That's not going to help in the long run. Well, and that's what I love the words, what if for, 
typically when we use the words what if in our culture, we, we tend to go to that negative side, that fear-based side. But as you've said, one of the competencies is being optimistic. So turning that coin over and going to the other side of it and going, what if, and even just starting to name ideas or solutions or options that seem completely ridiculous and something that could never happen and allowing yourself to, to just start naming them. It's really interesting to see what happens in our minds and the things that our brains come up with. Oh, absolutely. In fact, it's, it's funny that you said that because uh, the first chapter in a book I wrote years ago called Zentrepreneur, it's combining Zen, you know, positive health, harmony, health and balance with entrepreneurship. So Zentrepreneur is taking good ideas and actually doing something with them. But the first chapter in that book is called What If? And the whole really? idea of the book, yeah, the whole <laughs> idea of the book is that it's contemplative. One of the quickest ways to get outside of the ego thought system is to be contemplative, meaning looking at things without a right, wrong perspective just playing with them. So what if is open, it's not closed. You're opening up to all the different possibilities. What if we do this? What if we do that? What if I try this? What if, you know, that you're opening up and you're not judging, you're not criticizing, you're not evaluating, you're simply collecting, you're collecting ideas. And, and incidentally in that book, chapter two is called why and chapter three is called why not. So again, this is contemplative. So what if we do this? And then why should we? What are all the reasons why we should? And then why shouldn't we? Why not do it? You know, what, what are the risks and the forces? So you're weighing ideas in a very open, contemplative way. And you're not jumping to conclusions too quickly um, based on paradigms you don't even know you're in, beliefs that you don't even know you have. And I think that's where a lot of value in conversation with our kids can come in when we're, especially when we're letting them take the lead is this is by having this conversation between two people, we don't just leapfrog inside of our own mind and make us such assumptions and judgments and toss out ideas. We just say, Hey, let's put everything out on the table, no matter how far fetched it might be. When we're done, then we can judge it. I with raising my kids, I always said we're going to brainstorm, and our brainstorming rules are that this is all creative and positive. There are no bad ideas. You cannot comment on anybody's ideas, including your own. So all we do is write everything down. And yeah. there, there can be a lot of really crummy ideas in there. It was the process, though, of going through those crummy ideas, like they were the ladder to the incredible, amazing solution that worked. Yeah, that's why, you know, it's, it's a technique we use in, in business uh, problem solving and process improvement stuff is we call it silent brainstorming. We'll, we'll say, OK, here's here's the problem. All right. Or uh, here's a, a potential solution. Now, everybody take five minutes in silence with a pack of post-its, write down, you know, one solution on one post-it for each, you know, for the problem and write down as many as you can. And so we stick them up on a, a whiteboard or on the wall. And in five minutes with a team of, let's just say 10 or 15 people, we've got 50 plus ideas 
uh, up on the board. Now, a lot of them are redundant. So then we do something we call affinitize, where we take the like ideas and put them in categories or groups. So with you know 50 post-its on the wall, you might end up with you know six or seven categories. But each category then becomes a possible solution. And rather than closed-minded, we're going to do option A and somebody else says, no, we're going to do option B and we're fighting over A versus B, A versus B, and we can't seem to pull together. We're not even looking at option C, D, and E because we haven't been using a, a rational uh, contemplative process. So by just simply knowing these tools opens up everything. You could easily do that with your kid. Let's just take five minutes to jot down uh, uh, different ideas in silence. And you do it in silence so that you don't start arguing after two ideas. <laughs> you know, let's go ahead and collect ten or fifteen, and then let's start, you know, evaluating a little bit. I also appreciate the silent brainstorming for our introvert population. I oh, yeah. think the when brainstorming first came into corporate, the extroverts were just they were right in there, and their ideas were the ones that came out first and we still ended up leaving things on the table because we didn't have the depth that you get when everybody thinks through the entire process on their own and then bring in that collaboration. So you don't lose the collaborative spirit. You just gain a wider or deeper knowledge around which to collaborate. I, and again, with our teens, when we talk to kids who don't go to their parents about things, and it's particularly in the area of addiction and suicide ideation, we ask them, you know, why didn't you talk to your parents or why didn't you talk to anybody? And they said, they would judge me. Yeah. And there's a lot of fear of judgment from our kids. And, and we've heard this. We heard this on uh, episode 177. We did an episode, I Be Me, sponsored one on shame. And that was the same thing that teen instructors are telling us. That's what they're hearing from kids is that kids have ideas about what the parents think and what the parents are going to say. So going to the silent brainstorming, I think gives an opportunity for that to, to be perhaps set aside for the moment. And then pairing that with your competency for knowledge. I loved that you talked about being a lifelong learner. And in this conversation that we're having here, one of the things I wanted to point out is that one of the other places we can learn is from our child. You talked about elsewhere that, you know, parents aren't always right. We don't know everything. And oftentimes our kids do know and have the answers. So I think Again, going to this idea, bringing things together and saying, oh, we're brainstorming and we're working through this problem together. I think that strengthens our relationship with our child too, because it says, I see you, I hear you, I respect you. I think that what you think and know is valuable. You have something to contribute to this. And I see that and I appreciate it. Oh yeah, absolutely. Another technique that goes along with that, Sandy, that we use is in leadership development is we call it second order or second level questions. So what that means is a lot of times you ask somebody, maybe you ask your child, how was your day? And you inevitably get the answer, okay, or fine, or good. And you've learned nothing. 
it's like in business, you know, you ask a customer, you know, a, a maitre d' or a waiter comes around and says, how was your meal? It was good. It was fine. They really don't learn anything. And often you just hear what the person thinks you want to hear. So a second level question is, well, if, if you were going to change anything or uh, to improve your experience here at this restaurant, or if you were going to, you know, if, if, if you said your day was fine, well, what did you, what did you find uh, most helpful today at school? You know, what was your favorite class? What was your favorite moment? A second level question takes you to a deeper level of understanding and, and empathy. So you, you, you don't just ask those first level, first order questions and get first order answers. You probe a little bit, uh, delicately, you don't wanna be intrusive, but you, you know, you're asking your child, um, you know, if, if they're troubled, you, you're just taking it a little bit deeper. You know, ultimately you could even say, is there anything I can do to help? But you're not, like you said, you're not criticizing, you're not condemning, you're not judging, you're, you're, you're exploring, you know, you're listening and you're empathizing, you're trying, you're seeking to understand, that's it's so important. And I really love the word exploring in there. And I feel like all these competencies in one way or another are helping us either explore for ourselves or you know within ourselves, in our relationship with our child or helping our child explore. And John, I think this has been such an enlightening conversation. I could keep going, but <laughs> we are gonna, we were kind of running out of time here and I wanna make sure that Mighty Parents know where they can find you online. Sure, well, I'm, uh, my website is uh, www.johnjmurphy.org. And from that website, you can find me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and I have a YouTube channel with uh, 200 or so uh, free videos on just life coaching, health and wellness and leadership and team building and all kinds of that stuff. A lot of, a lot of my writings. You can also see on my website, the different books I've written and uh, yeah, and, and find a way to communicate with me if you'd like. I, I love that. And now that we know that business tools, business leadership tools work in our family, that gives us a whole nother avenue to explore and continue learning, which is one of the competencies you shared with us. So thank you, John, for taking the time to have this conversation with us today. Oh, you're welcome, Sandy. Anytime. And Mighty Parents, thank you for being here. Remember to share the podcast with another parent. Also remember to pop over to MightyParenting.com and grab the email series on how to talk to your teen. Thank you so much for joining us today and being part of the Mighty Parenting community. Remember, if you're here, if you're listening, you already are a Mighty Parent. You got this. And I will see you next week.